Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is a podcast where we meet together as a panel discussion and talk about passages and topics in the Bible or just passages related to Christianity and sometimes even just life. But it is definitely Christian-based and our um, name, Reconciling Grace, means that we want to do this with the understanding that we know that we are reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ in His grace. So my name is Pete Becky, and it is my pleasure to be with you today. Joining me today are Pastor Josh Kugel and Pastor Mac, Don McDonald. Gentlemen, it's good to have you with us today. And um, I am trying to come up with a wonderful, wonderful title for today's uh, discussion, but it has to do with rules. And as we were talking about rules, I thought about maybe the title rules, rules, rules. I thought about saying, what do we want to do about um, extra biblical rules? And Josh came up with a great... Um, what do I call it? a great statement or a great question? And it kind of goes like this. It says, why do we feel the need to follow the path of the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law who Jesus called out so often? Is that basically how you said it, Josh? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that gets to it. Um, uh, oftentimes they would add to biblical instruction in a way to either keep power or to, you know, uh, create burden on others or to, you know, um, and so it, it seems that we do the same fairly often in the church for good reason, or at least we think it's for good reason, uh, to get people to act the way that we think they should or a way that's godly or something. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, and then the thing that was catching my attention is how often throughout the years, and I'm talking about a number of years. I think I've been um, ordained as an elder since, what, 99. So I've been ordained for, you know, nearly 23 years now. Um, been a Christian a lot longer than that. And it just seems that no matter what denomination I was part of, because I've been a part of many different denominations, I like to call myself a Catholic um, because I've been parts of so many different denominations, but various denominations, various congregations even would have rules i think josh as we were talking beforehand you were saying what do you mean like don't run in the sanctuary well yeah that was one of them in most of the places i've been in um yeah you'll even have denominational rules that go um beyond i don't want to say go against but go beyond what the bible um would clearly teach for instance um I'll, i'll say this personally i absolutely hate um tobacco smoke i grew up around it don i don't know if you remember that i always mm. smelled of smoke when we were oh, yeah i remember it well I my, my parents both smoked um and i was around it i didn't realize until i went away to college and came back and came back out of my parents house and opened up my suitcase after a break wow that all smells like smoke i didn't realize how bad it smelled on me i've hated that with a passion um yet i cannot say that there is a prohibition in the Bible against tobacco usage. I can give you all kinds of great reasons why not to use tobacco, but I can't say that 
There is a prohibition that says thou shalt not use tobacco. It was that kind of stuff that I was thinking about. Do um, you guys have any other issues like that that you've seen or heard? Yeah, I mean, you brought up earlier things like dancing, uh, you know, and, and, and but it leads me to leads me to think it leads me to think um, is is there a place for rules in the church, even if the Bible doesn't necessarily uh, back it up? And is the danger when we begin to um, as a church begin to be seen as enforcing these rules and people can't tell the difference between what we want people to act like in our church building or what we want people to act like, you know, or what the Bible says. And so maybe not just a danger, but maybe the, the error we make is we don't differentiate between uh, these are salvation issues. These are what God wants for you. And this is what we expect for you when you're in the building. Um, or this is what we think would be best for you. I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that too. Um, well, is it kind of like, this is what a Christian should look like? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like different churches, different denominations might say, this is what a Christian should be like. You should be able to identify a person because they, what I'm saying, look, I don't mean the physical look, but this is how they should act. They should be able to tell that you are Christians by the fact that you don't drink alcohol or that yeah. you don't smoke cigarettes. Well, I, I've speculated before about how the whole tattoo thing got to be such a big deal in churches. And then now this kind of cast off the restraint from it. But part of me thinks that people didn't like tattoos. And so they looked really, really hard for biblical prohibition against tattoos. And they found it in the book of Leviticus and kind of backwards applied a verse that doesn't really apply to this thing. And it became common knowledge and everything else. And so it became, it, it was a preference somebody had or something that we thought was a good practice that we then looked for the Bible to enforce what we wanted to happen. Um, and I've, I've, I've talked about tattoos before. I, I'm not always a huge fan. I don't have any, but you know, the, the, the verse that we use to, to support not having tattoos is actually about marking dead for passage into the afterlife that Egyptians used to do. And the Hebrew people were told, Hey, let's not do that because we don't believe, <laughs> you know, in that practice or something. And then all of a sudden it became, well, this verse kind of says what I want it to say. And so I'm going to use it to back that up. And I, I think that happens a lot in churches where we want people to behave a certain way. We want uh, people to, to act. And it may be good things. It may be things that are productive or healthy or whatever. And then we look to the Bible to enforce our perspective rather than the other way around. Um, just a thought on that. I don't know. I haven't said a lot because... I'm, I'm trying to figure out and it's it how do you define what a good Christian looks like you know how do you define and and you know well, I, they they wear a coat they, they wear a coat a dress and, coat and they get their hair cut and they're you know um, mm. and and I I struggle I, I'm in the camp of, and I'm looking at John 8, the beginning of John 8, where the woman's caught in adultery, and, you know, here they are, and Jesus bends down on the ground, and he's just sort of diddling in the ground, sort of like, and saying, who's going to throw the first stone, who's going to make that first, as it were, judgment call, and, and I find myself uh, basically 
looking into the reality of rules in church with the question of, am I creating a stumbling block? So I end up in Romans all the time. So I tend not to be as, shall we say, rule driven as what most preachers are, because I would rather be known as a person of love and grace over against this. These are the rules. You better follow them. If not, there's a door. I, I can't I can't do that. And then when I look at John eight and, you know, at the end, it says that neither do I condemn you. Jesus declares, go now and leave your life of sin. He challenges the, the people. You got to change your life, but I'm not going to condemn you either. So it, it, and, and I think, you know, Josh, you said something earlier that really grieves me and gets heavy on my heart is sometimes people use the rules to have power. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they misuse it and they do so much damage. Mm -hmm. I've, I've spent so much time putting people's lives back together from people who are good intention, but really destroyed faith walk over being pharisaical in approach yeah. rather than loving, rather than being grace filled. You know, I was, I, I was also thinking about you know, yeah. John, John four and Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I just preached on that in a lot of ways. If we approach John four and Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman, Jesus shouldn't be doing that at all. Cause Jews and Samaritans weren't supposed to associate with one another. Yeah. They weren't supposed to have a connection with one another. It's in the middle of the day. The woman's had like 3000 husbands, satire, extreme <laughs> for the record. I put, Astros is next to that. And yet here's Jesus encountering her. <clears throat> he wasn't worried about the rules at that point. He was worried about her soul and her heart. And yeah. so for me, Pete, you know, I, I, I kid, but there's a truth that I had a gentleman I served with on our, on our board who had a hard time with, as it were, my doctrine of grace and love first over against rules. And it was very contentious times sometimes, but in the contention, we need discussions like, because I hear Josh's heart here, the church needs, though, some type of what's different from the church to culture. We can't be culture. We have yeah. to be Jesus. And, and I think, Pete, there's, there's a, a tension in the church that I'm going to say is healthy. And it's this, how do we relate to a culture that's changing so fast when it comes to being contrary to scripture, how mm. do we show the life of scripture in such a way that's grace filled, that's loving, but also says, Hey, wait a minute, people, we're a new creation in Christ. And you have to strive. And this is a key word in my mind. You have to strive to become more and more like Christ. So that that's why in some ways, you know, when I have a discussion like this, there's a part of me that, that grieves because I've had to deal with people who've been so deeply wounded by the pharisaical rules of the church that it took them away from Christ. And I've had the honor of restoring them to Christ first in love and grace. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I, uh, I like the words that you both used about, uh, about power. Um, I've often thought of it in a very similar way of maybe it's kind of control, you know, um, because Think of it from, for instance, a denominational level. Don, I'm not exactly sure 
where the Reformed Church stands on all these things. But, you know, I've been Nazarene for all these years. And and as I said, I think we said this before uh, we, we went on on podcast today, that I remember the old saying, I don't dance, drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't go with girls who do. And that was kind of like one of the Nazarene joke, but, but it was also kind of the way it was understood to be. You know, you don't do those things. And if you do, um, you know, you, you might not really be thought of as a good Church of the Nazarene member. Now, I'm not saying that in, in, in trying to make fun or trying to do whatever, but those are some of the rules that are actually laid out in the, in the manual for the Church of the Nazarene as part of the way of living the Christian life. Those are Used certain to be. things you don't do. Used to be. And because those have all been, or most of those have been taken out. I don't, the drinking probably hasn't. No, they haven't. No, uh, uh, the dancing has dancing been, has been changed over the past maybe couple of decades to where it used to be that kids who are in school in public schools and they were in phys phys ed class, PE, wow. whatever, that they would do some type of a dancing thing. They would have to be either excused or something. Um, because they were told by their parents, no, you can't dance. Well, they changed the rule in Church of the Nazarene maybe about, I don't know, I'm guessing about 20 years ago to say that the type of dancing they're talking about is the type of dancing that would break down the natural social inhibition between the sexes. Gotcha. But it's still in there. The, the drinking yeah. is still in there. The news is still in there. What do you think, Pat? Do you question, I mean, Pete, do you question the heart those comes from? come from? Do I question what, please? the heart that those come from? You know, it's, it's hard to decide, to decide. I think that there are a lot I mean, of people who are well, you know, well um, you know, you know, Dan Boone, right? Um, Dan, Dan Boone from yes, Trebekah. Yes, he's from Trebekah. Yes. He, I read a, I read a book that he wrote a long time ago and I'm hoping I'm attributing to the right person. Um, he was talking about uh, gambling or drinking, something like that. And he was asked, you know, the scripture specifically about drinking, but I think it may have also been about gambling. Scripture doesn't have a prohibition against drinking. It specifically does, we all know, uh, against getting drunk. Mm -hmm. So why do you personally have a uh, uh, rule in your life where you don't drink? And, and I think gamble was, was part of it. I'm just, I'm, I, I may be messing this up pretty bad. But I think the response was something along the lines of God has called me to serve people who live in communities have been destroyed by gambling and drinking. And I don't want to be a part of what has caused the destruction in their community. So I've taken it upon myself to not do that. Mm -hmm. But in that, we also are saying that everyone else should take it upon themselves, even though it goes above and beyond scripture, it seems to live the same way that I feel called by God to live. And that becomes pretty dangerous, I think. Yeah. Um, when we say, look, God, is, God has convicted me to take a strong stance on this, this thing. And it's a great stance. It is probably something that everyone should do. But it is a, a personal conviction that I have that may be above and beyond what Scripture says. Me taking it then and applying it to everyone else, I think comes from a right heart, comes from a good motivation, but I think that's, uh, we're taking it, we're taking an authority that we don't necessarily possess, and then applying it to other people. I think there's a dichotomy there too, because, um, you know, the Bible also does say not to put a stumbling block in anybody's path. 
you know, and so, you know, you're talking about, you know, for instance, drinking uh, back in the Bible days, you know, when Paul was talking about it, I believe it was in first Corinthians, he was talking about it being food sacrificed to idols, you know, and back then the practice was that, that a lot of the best meat that was ever available was first sacrificed to an idol's temple. And hey, if you were found eating meat, a lot of times people figured you were sacrificing or, or, or encouraging or, or in some way worshiping this idol. And so Paul said, hey, there's nothing wrong with eating meat, but I'm not going to do it if it's going to be something that's going to make somebody stumble. So yeah. I think there's a dichotomy there because the only person, Josh, who knows my heart is me and God. And the only person who knows your heart is you and God. And the only one who knows Don's heart is Don and his wife. Yeah. No, yeah, and for Paul, for Paul to <laughs> for Paul to go on and say that either that uh, that you're completely free to do it or you shouldn't do it takes away from God his ability to work with an individual. I think to say, you know what, this is something that's important that's between us that is a stumbling block for you that is something I want to keep you clear of or I want to free you in. I, I don't know. I, I um, think. Uh, for me, the decision not to drink, and I, I make this real clear to my people and those I present the gospel with, it's really not an issue of Christianity. It's an issue of mental health. Because in my family line, we have so much alcoholism and addictive behavior. It's, it's, it's just crazy. My brother turned out to be an alcoholic. And my sister ended up on, well, she was a list of addictive stuff. Um, and so it's, it's heavy duty in the family line. And if, if I say anything, I said, it's, it's more of an issue of temple care that I've chosen not to drink at all. And, you know, when I, I, I found the most interesting experience, and, and I think we as a church of Jesus Christ need to ask ourselves, how do we live our life showing the newness of Christ while opening our hearts to the lost? Because usually what happens when we approach it in a pharisaical way, the door shuts on being able to do any effective evangelism. And, you know, the gentleman that I had contention with, um, not a drinker, against bars, I mean, aggressively against it but we had a dear gentleman um give me a minute i get teary these days so please forgive me um no, forgive me he uh passed away at the age of 49 of cancer came to christ late he was one of my first adult baptisms at danforth great guy um his wife died at 34 of uh, complications from diabetes and this gentleman remarried and the reception was at a bar and i thought oh my goodness this guy that i have contention with is not he's going to be up in arms about it he was the first one in the building loving this guy in christ first you know and and i think we as the church of jesus christ so the reformed church what drew me to the reformed church is we understand that we start with grace first and not holiness. I'm choosing that intentionally because the expression of the Nazarene is holiness. Mm 
in a beautiful way. I am not doing a value judgment on that. I let yeah, my I understand that too. I'm glad you clar clarified that, but I also know that that's how you meant it. You're right. And but I want everybody to know that. But for me, as an evangelist, I always start with grace first, like Jesus, John I mean, four. Baptist. Baptists start with potlucks, but then potlucks. we get to you got to fill them up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that's something that really came to mind of how this gentleman dropped his pharisaical. These are the rules. We don't go to bars. We don't do this to wait a minute. I got to love this guy in Christ. And I think when we ask the questions about rules in the church, if it blocks you from showing the grace and love of Jesus Christ, then you better get on your knees and start praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. Who do you want me to be? Luke 15 is always in my heart. And Luke 15 is all about the one matter, that mm -hmm. whole section of Luke, the one matters. And I think when I look at rules, I get a wee bit feisty because it's like, if you're letting the rules determine your relationship to Jesus Christ, then you don't understand grace. Yeah. I want to, um, something popped out to me when you were talking about the woman at the, uh, that was caught in adultery too. And I think this often happens. Um, she wasn't important to the story to those people. Um, they were after personal gain by doing what they were doing. And they were also setting up, uh, keeping their power, putting Jesus down or whatever. She was just a means to an end upon something like that and so i often wonder too if people uh refuse to extend grace or or just try to protect things and really they're not aiming it at people individually they're it's more about them and i i wonder too if that's the way we can tell because pete i asked if you know the heart behind it i think the heart in the nazarene manual is the right place typically um but so often we will set rules, we'll try to protect things, and it more—it has more to do with making us feel good, protecting our place, all that kind of stuff, than it does the, the people we claim to be trying to help or, or uh, setting up or, or something like that. Um, and in some ways, Josh, what you're really leaning into that's always in my head is, is a church a fortress or a hospital? Yeah. You know, because in some ways, what, what we're really addressing here in my mind, Pete, is what is the purpose of the church? Yeah. That's the real question we're asking when we look at rules and we look at laying all that out. But let me, let me ask then, is it a good rule that you can't mark on the walls of the fellowship hall? I don't know. You know, it's that's 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 the kind you of really you don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's know, like, wait a minute, God wrote on a wall. Wait a minute here, God wrote on I a wall. Remember, I don't know that that's a good rule, a bad rule. I mean, I think it's a great rule that you can't <laughs> write on it. Yeah, don't write on the walls in the church. Well, yeah, but you know, one of the best things that ever happened at the church, at one of the churches where I pastored, was when, and this wasn't inside the wall, but it's outside. <laughs> <clears throat> we had a youth pastor who came up with this idea that he had gotten from another church he had been a youth pastor at, where the idea was, we're going to have a jello night, and everything was jello. It was mostly outside, but it ended up with a big jello fight. We had jello, a wading pool full of jello, where the have... kids were throwing jello at each other and got on the walls. And there was one spot I couldn't clean off. And as I was cleaning it off, Josh, this is absolutely the truth. 
as I was cleaning it off and I could not get it off of there, I was thinking, I think God is actually happy with that jello there because it's showing Did he have how, permission? I was showing how, you know, it was important for these people to have this. And I will tell you what, some of the kids who came to that jello night because it was, you know, they're new to the church or whatever. I actually got to baptize two of them several years later. Pete, did he have permission though? The, the the youth minister? Yes. Yeah, because I was the pastor and I let him do it. <laughs> well, that's not against that. If <laughs> all right, I, I think that's great, and it's obviously uh, I, it it did good as well. Uh, I just think there are things in the church that we have to remember. It's a building we're trying to keep that people have paid for. Well, yeah, it's good. And, and I, and I am curious too, how we just differentiate that to where we don't seem like we're not being graceful, but we are saying, you know, there are some churches, um, ours has this rule, but we don't really enforce it. I don't think, but no coffee in the sanctuary. Um, that's not a spiritual rule. It's not something you need to promote is keeping you in or out of heaven or something, but it does make you seem like if somebody brings coffee in there and you go over there and tell them, Hey, you're not supposed to have that in here. It can run the risk of making you seem not graceful or, or rules focused or something like that. But in some places where they just paid $15,000 to put coffee in the sanctuary, I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I mean, not coffee, coffee, but Put carpet in the sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> Put carpet that is, in the that's sanctuary. expensive coffee, man. I, 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 I don't wow, like that must be church. gourmet. <laughs> I, I don't mind a church that has some rules that are beyond biblical, but somehow we have to present ourselves as graceful and still, mm-hmm. like even running in the sanctuary, I understand if you have an 85-year-old person there, 90-year-old person yeah. there, and you're being, you know, just, just a, you know, carefree around them and and don't take into account that they're you know i understand where that comes from sure but somehow we have to present ourselves as look you know what what is it keeping the main thing the main things and all the other things you know lesser things sure uh they're not heaven and hell issues is the bottom line i think that's kind of what you're getting at there are yeah and i I wonder as a church how we can present the difference between the two the other thing i wonder about too is is in my family, I have some very strict rules. I've always had some very strict rules that I don't necessarily apply to church. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, the, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, I think what they were guilty of was not having rules and things like that, but they were guilty of misrepresenting the, the source of those rules. Mm-hmm. And I think the church can do that as well, too. The, not having coffee on the new carpet in the sanctuary, the source of that rule is a is a building committee that wants to protect the new carpet. It's not divine. And I think the Pharisees made the impression or gave the impression that they were holier because they followed rules that were not given by God and gave the impression that if you follow these rules that were not given by God to you will be holy as well. And gave the impression that these are from God. And so somehow we have to, I don't know, be adult enough to recognize, hey, look, we just spent a million dollars on this new building. We don't want you to trash it. And the difference between that and, look, man, I understand you're not perfect. And I don't want to set any additional barrier between you and where God is bringing you. Can you understand the difference or can we portray the difference? I I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, 
But if you put it in your manual, <laughs> no, well, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. The manual looks kind of like a Bible. Yeah. And some people have a hard time differentiating between what's in the manual and what's in the Bible. One of the things that I've been thinking as you've been talking about it, Josh, because I think you're absolutely right about, about you know, there, there are different ways of looking at things, different things. You know, it, it's not a heaven and hell issue. That's kind of how we sometimes use it. It's not a heaven and hell issue if you run in the sanctuary, you have coffee in the sanctuary. However, it is going back to one of our previous broadcasts, um, a common courtesy thing. You know, it is something where we're trying to take care of, something where we, where we paid a lot of money. But what I was thinking about when you're talking about this, is perhaps it has to do with the heart of the person who's trying to make the rule. Is it, uh, how do I want to say, it's almost um, a tyranny of rule following. It's like, I care about you, so you need to do it this way. Or because I know what's best for you, you need to do it this way. So if you're going to join our church, you first have to give up smoking. You have to first give up drinking. You have to give up gambling. You have to, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. Pete, you you continue to make me want to talk about the pandemic we're in, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> well, maybe we'll have another issue. There, another there, there are people, but I do think it's sim. I I do think there's something here. A lot of people get bugged that other people are not following the rules, mm-hmm. and I think the same thing can happen in church. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can look down on somebody because they're not, fo- I, I don't know. Anyway. Well, honestly, Josh, when, when you started talking about those things, I thought a lot, a lot along those same lines too. Maybe we need to have another episode that goes <laughs> along that somewhere, but um, I don't know. That'll be very fruitful here. We're, we're about almost 30 minutes in right now. So we probably ought to think about shutting down, but Don, you've been leaning into that mic several times. Have we been keeping you from saying something? Not totally. I just, you know, the thing that always keeps coming to my mind is the reality of the heart. That's all we've been talking about. You know, when it comes to these, the one setting the rules, the one laying it out, what is their heart? And, and sometimes that is so difficult to ascertain. And I think that's where you have to just sort of sit back and say, okay, Holy <laughs> Spirit, I need a heart that's willing to listen first. Yeah. You know, and, and to see where it's going, you know, because you know, Josh, I came out of a, of a mega church where it just recently, even they redid the whole front end of the church. They spent $12 million on the front end of the church, yeah, just cleaning yeah. it up, making it for today. That was really expensive coffee. It is very expensive coffee. And, <laughs> and the thing though was, why were they doing it? Well, they're in Oak Brook. And in Oak Brook, if you mm. don't have a level of standard, because Chicago area, Oak Brook is very much a rich area of Chicago. If yeah. your facade does not look where it should be in Oakbrook, how are you supposed to draw people in? Now there's been some controversy with that, but <clears throat> I think it becomes a matter of the heart at that point. And I think, you know, when we're looking over everything we're saying, yeah, the rules, you know, for us, it's not a manual. For us, it's our bylaws in the Reformed Church underneath, you know, grounds. Yeah, we want to keep our grounds clean. Yeah, please make sure you return it back to the way you found it. Yeah, do those things. Um, but then the truth of the matter is, is it a heaven and hell um, issue? No. You know, and, and I think that's the question, you know, if, if I'm advising consistory slash board 
on their manual or on their bylaws, the number one question I always ask is this, is Jesus being glorified by that rule? And if it isn't, drop it. You know, as I, when I worked as stated clerk, I, I made it real clear to quite a few churches. They had so many, excuse the phrase, idiotic rules that totally took away from the mission of the church. I finally told them, is this a heaven hell is this a Jesus thing? And if it's not a Jesus thing and it's taking away from Jesus, get rid of it. You know, mm -hmm. and that's sort of where, you know, when I'm looking at the question of rules and we're winding down, Pete, if you are on your different committees, teams, whatever you call them, and you're setting up rules, make sure it's not a stumbling block. Make sure it's something that draws people to Jesus and make sure you're honoring, you're building in the work of the priesthood of believers. That that's sort of where where I come out on a lot of this. Well, I like that, and um, I think that's a pretty good way to kind of summarize some of the things that we're thinking about. Now, I can't say that everything that we have said falls in line with any specific denomination. Um, you know, denominations have rules. Uh, different denominations have different rules. Um, I think that's maybe another whole subject where we can say what about when your denomination says this and it might not be exactly biblical uh, what if your denomination says you know don't do these things and you have people in your congregation who do these things well that means they can't be members you know what church membership doesn't get you into heaven folks it's a relationship with jesus christ and you know i i've known people who were uh attended churches who were never able to um, maybe become a member of that congregation, but I, I wish that everybody had their spirit, you know, <laughs> that's the best thing I can say. So guys, I guess we ought to probably be wrapping this up just because of time. And I've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, so this is Pete Vecchi. I am on staff at Christway uh, Church in Pleasantville, Ohio. First Baptist Church of Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi. I got it right this time, Josh. How about that? That's where Josh Kugel is the pastor. Danforth Reformed Church, Danforth, Illinois. That's where Don McDonald, Pastor Mac, P-Mac. I still like calling him P-Mac. I've called him Don so many years. I, I like P-Mac. Um, that's where he is the pastor. And we just want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace and Lord willing, We'll see you again next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace.